Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and these beers are incredibly strong and incredibly close to empty. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading our Patreon selected book of the month, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Four, and someone is starting with a beer. All right, so in this book, the main character goes all through around New York City to all the boroughs. And uh, would you say that if he went to Staten Island and it happened to be <laughs> Halloween, that he would be have had to be afraid of Gabagools? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly many, I just had to, I thought the name was funny and so I had to pick it for something. In many parts of Brooklyn and the Bronx, they still say that. No, <laughs> true. This Bronx is so anymore. Gabagool. By uh, KCPC, a double IPA. The Gabagool is the scariest type of Italian ghost. Yep. And it uh, tastes like a double IPA. Yeah. Can confirm. It's uh, pretty good. They should make one based on prosciutto next. Maybe they shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Who doesn't like a nice piece of uh... (laughs) prosciutto? So, oh man, because then beer helps us come out of our shell. Uh, Oscar Shell is the main character who is, I, I did not realize this the first time I read this book. I must have been myself special. This kid's clearly autistic. Probably, oh, yeah. yeah. Apparently in the movie they make it, they're more like, oh yeah, totally. But in the book, it's just... He's just, just weird. He's just a weird kid. He keeps calling uh, but his he cat is his a, pussy, and I don't like that. Well, I mean, you would think after the first time... When he's like, guys, I want to come home and see my pussy. <laughs> and then everyone made fun of him. That he would have like, oh, shit, that's not what I'm supposed to he say, must is not it? like cats. Like, is it? I thought you were a boy, Oscar. <laughs> uh, so Oscar is a, a nine-year-old boy who lives in Manhattan. And his dad died on 9-11. He was on 58th Street and he got hit by a bus. But it was on 9-11. That's not true. <laughs> he was in the windows of the world. You ever see that Curb Your Enthusiasm? Where the guy keeps saying, oh, my brother died on 9-11. Like, he got hit by a car uptown. <laughs> and Larry David cannot accept that. <laughs> so um, his father was killed uh, on 9-11 when the United States government did a controlled demolition of the World Trade Center and uh, a false flag operation so we can go steal oil, is what I believe uh, the facts have born out yeah you know it's been a while we know now yeah well, yeah we know um and so joe uh, rogan said so joe rogan didn't say so he was just asking questions <laughs> <laughs> so this kid has obviously dealt with horrendous trauma he's very young and he is trying to figure out he's trying to manage that uh but he's a fucking weird kid and he is uh go he goes on a very odd quest to figure it out. And the book is, it's a fucking weird book. It's like a weird order. I don't even know how to begin talking about the plot. But well, it's, it's, it's a few years after... It's two. Two years after 9-11. And Actually, it's more like a year and maybe only a little over one year. It's an indeterminate the, short time after 9-11. Well, at the <laughs> end... It's like September so 14th. Did I just interrupt you from opening? No, no, here? no. I am going to soon. All right, so at the very end of the book, it is September 11th, 2003. Mm, well, you okay. know it's at least 2003 because of the old man says he's 103 and he was born on January 1st, 1900. So it has to be January past January, and, it, and he says he's 103. So, well, Oscar uh, lives with his mom, and uh, he's a, a different kind of child, and he's you know unable to come to terms with the death of his father in 9/11, but. Something incredible happens, or something not incredible. Something weird happens. Something incredibly um, close. <laughs> yes, incredibly close happens. He's exploring some shit. I forget what it was. He was in this another room, and he knocks over this vase, and uh, out on the floor, the floor is is, is quite low. It's it's, it's 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 the floor, and he sees there a key. So I'd say uh, he sees a, a low key. <laughs> <laughs> This is low key from Talia, and it's a hazy IPA. There we go. It's nice. It's not super, like overwhelming. It's pretty. It's pretty pretty mild. It says notes of fresh pineapple and lychee. 
he finds the yeah. vase in his father's closet where it still has all of his dad's stuff. Like the mom yes. hasn't gone through that process of getting rid of his stuff yet. Even though they've had a funeral for him, they know he is dead. They have a There's funeral no body. with an empty coffin. Yeah, that's important later. There's no body to be recovered, as is the case for like, I don't know, a large percentage of people who died in the World Trade Center. And he's going through the dad's stuff and he knocks over the vase. And he f- and one of the things that he's he's looking for is because, and this is kind of one of the things about 9-11 that gets mentioned many times in the book, is like, it surprised people. People had were in the middle of things. People were in the middle of plans that they had with other people, right? And his father had set him up on this, like, quest where that he would, they would do weird things and the, the dad would leave clues. But they never ended the last quest. They never got the solution, the, the solution to it. So he's looking for clues and he knocks over the vase and inside of it is an envelope that says black on it and inside of it is a weird little key. And he's like, oh, what is this? Maybe this will tell me something about my father. And so he goes on the dumbest fucking plan ever, the kind that only a child could think of, to figure out what this key is for. And and also, only really kind of an autistic child could think of, which is look up everyone with the name Black in the phone book and start with A and look at do them in order. He's got he's to get to that point first because it's got Black, but it's written in red. And he's like, that's weird. And he goes to oh, yeah. the art store. Oh, yeah. And the art store person is like, well, it says Black, but it's written in red. Like, if you held a blue pen, you couldn't write the word black because you'd be like, no, this is blue. It was like, that's stupid. I write different colors all the time. It's not hard. Um, it is hard if you are, because in this case, the name it's the name black. Yeah, so she says it's probably so, something like a name because it's not the color. But I remember that that's like one of those dumb online, how smart are you quizzes? And it's like, name the, right, what color do you see? And it'll be the word orange written in green text and it's kind of jarring and disorienting because you like read the word right away yeah but the color it's confusing you have to like stop and slow down your your thinking kind of but they're just overthinking this thing it's obvious it's a name but he does see his dad's name scribbled all over the fucking art store on the tester papers where people try out markers because that's a a thing gotta make sure they uh, work I guess. I mean, if you're, I guess, if you're an art person, you want to have a better sense of the, you know, Thickness. you need to know more than just the tip of the marker. <laughs> so he sees Thomas Shell written all over, and he's like, "That's weird. My dad must have been here buying markers." And she's like, "This, those papers are like three days old. Those are not pre nine eleven legal pads that people scribbled on." <laughs> and you forget about that for a very long time. So then he goes on the quest to find who the black person mm, that doesn't sound right who the person <laughs> with the last name black is and he starts at the top of the alphabet to like aaron black or whatever the first alphabetical a aaron name black, is yeah. so not only does he not just call them he has to go and visit he has to go to their house slash apartment knock on their door and like ask them if they know anything about the key and so, and he doesn't do them like, oh, well, I'll do all the ones in Qu- this neighborhood in Queens, or I'll do all the ones in this neighborhood in Brooklyn. Nope, he has to start with A, and then B, and then C. And he's too afraid to go on the subway, so he walks. And he has to ring his, he has to like ring his tambourine the entire way as he's walking, because they tambourine makes him feel safe or something like that there's one part where he's talking to someone and he's like would you like me to play a tambourine solo for you and I'm like i cannot <laughs> we already had 9-11 we don't need <laughs> that too i can't tell you how much i don't want you to do that <laughs> that's like if your father was here to hear a tambourine solo he would ask for a plane to come here like that is <laughs> the fucking worst a tambourine solo was <laughs> the worst thing i ever heard of it's worse than a bass solo. Oh, those those are yeah, horrendous. That's true. Uh, someone did message us about bass players. <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah, <laughs> the bass players don't get the bitches. That's true. They are bitches. Uh, so, so all this weird stuff is happening, and then there's like all these other because he's kind of rambly, the kid. So you find out more stuff about the mom, and the mom has this friend named Ron, and 
and uh, Oscar hates this fucking guy. He's like, don't you dare fuck my mom. <laughs> and he also talks in weird ways. Like when he gets depressed, he's like, man, that made me feel heavy boots. And like, that's, I believe that's one of Bootsy Collins' albums. And then I started inventing, which really yeah, he, he means daydreaming or like, also sometimes just inventing. What if it's a, what if it's a clock that was powered by a rocket and had blah, blah, blah. It's just very strange things. Yeah, like, what if it was a grandfather clock, but the pendulum was a big penis, and we call it the clock and balls, and it's like... <laughs> but his, his inventions are kind of funny, but they're also just, like, they're not inventions. That's like me drawing a picture of a car with a rocket, and, like, I invented a flying car. <laughs> That's definitely not the right word. And then he's also writing, has been writing letters to famous people. And we're like, hi, my name's Oscar. Can I be your apprentice? Or can I, you know, do this with you or whatever? And it's really funny that just randomly will appear. He gets it like three or four times the same letter from Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. That it's like, beep, boop, bop, boop, bop. No, it says, um, <laughs> it's, it says, uh, it's like a generic fan. Like, so thank like, you. I'm sorry. I, I am unable to read i get due to the volume of mail i receive i cannot possibly respond to all of them but i hope to someday do so do you guess like like that happens four times in the book and then he gets another one from he gets a thing from ringo (laughs) it's like oh yeah man here's a shirt ringo had time to respond (laughs) ringo absolutely had time (laughs) uh ringo was like i'd listen to that tambourine solo but he's (laughs) He's got, he sent them things like, I never thought about teaching drum lessons. Sorry. And he gets one that's like, I'm sorry, I don't have room for a research assistant right now, but perhaps in the future, I'm sure you could, I could maybe uh, get some help next year. Yours, Jane Goodall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he gets another one and he's always like, well, it was responded to by her assistant. So she clearly, that assistant didn't put the good word in for me (laughs) because competition. So Which is smart, funny. actually. That's a very smart observation. So there's funny stuff like that happening. And my favorite thing is that he's in the, I guess it was like the school play. Oh, yeah. Hamlet, Hamlet. And he's playing Yorick, <laughs> which is the skull. <laughs> <laughs> like the, alas, poor Yorick speech. He's just a head. He's a big paper mache skull that they hold up during that part. And then he walks away. Because doesn't York have no lines? York is it's a, a, skull. It's just a skull. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's so like, <laughs> I thought perhaps as I was reading it, it was like they changed up the play because it's, you know, for little kids and then they like change stuff. But I mean, it's like being cast as Godot. It's, he has no <laughs> role. So that was his, uh, that I thought was just like a funny thing. And I thought it wasn't going to matter, but then they do have a scene. They do have a performance. They have multiple performances. And including him fucking it up really bad one time, or like daydreaming about fucking it up. I can't remember now. He dreams um, so, that he uh, he gets to um, beat the guy who is making fun of him nearly to death with the skull, and everyone applauds. Right, because they can't tell. Like, they're like, "This is." I mean, this is a shitty kids' play. Like, maybe that's I don't know. That's what that's what's supposed to be happening. <laughs> so uh, this is all happening. It's random, and then you also have. His grandma, who is, you know, very nice. And you start getting her random backstories of growing up in Dresden because this is a tragedy sandwich, this book. And it's just all like, sorts what, of bad things. What kind of thing do you think would go on a tragedy sandwich? A slice of gabagool? No. Uh, I was going to say that, you know, because of his... He's got this quest. Pastraw, why me? He's got, he's got this really this quest to uh, do this stuff. He's got no one to help him with it. He's in a real pickle. God damn it. <laughs> Though originally I bought this because it says reward the curious on the other side, and I thought that's what it was called. And sitting here, I realized that is not what it's called. Um, I feel like this has happened before. <laughs> yeah, that's that happens to uh, the single cuts. Do it with their fucking weird sayings. Is this is an urban artifact, and it's called pickle, and I think it's a pickle flavor beer. It doesn't oh, say anything, no. but I think that's what it is. It smells call like it, it. Why would they not put pickle in it and call it that? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> this is like a beer for pregnant women to have when they have weird cravings. <laughs> it's so weird, but it's pretty good. <laughs> 
<laughs> it tastes kind of like a. Honestly, it tastes like a fucking pickle. Um, One it's of interesting. Classic styles of beer. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a it's a it's a weird one. It's not terrible though. I really expected it to be awful, but for some reason it's not, <laughs> and I don't know why. Sometimes it just can't. They, things cancel out. You know. Yeah. Carbonated pickle juice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you know, sometimes they just work like burning jet fuel on steel beams. Uh, so we speaking should say of steel though, beams. We're supported. Beams, we are by our, by <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! How was that for a segue? We <laughs> used to be. By the time this air, when you hear it, they will no longer support us. Um, <laughs> supported by our supporters over at uh, Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club. We can get early access to episodes, access to our growing archive of episodes, which is up to 911 episodes, I believe. Mm. Uh, almost, actually. Join us for our lives. We'll mail you shit. We'll do uh, stuff above the close. Um, all sorts of things happen over there. Um, but most importantly, you vote in the book poll month. Well, no, that's not a that's not a sentence. Most importantly, vote in the monthly book poll. And we want to thank those fine people. Uh, so in no particular order... I'd like to thank Meep, <laughs> Mork's cousin. Meep. <laughs> it's Beaker. Brandon. The Putang Clan. Stand strong. <laughs> Dr. Don Keydick, MD. Mega Dick. Black Rabbit of Inlay. I Fondle Mondel. I, I can't even read. I Fondle Models. Avery. Humid Oyster. Kevin O'Irish, who has not corrected us, and he engages, so he's cool with it now. You've accepted that. <laughs> actually, I, please tell us how to actually say that name, because I don't even I don't know how to begin uh, <laughs> or end. Linda, Nathaniel, Thick Richard the Third, Frederick, William, Derek, Carol, Yolanda. Ah, <laughs> Nate has never seen the Gaza Strip. But he did see a chow chow shake it for biscuits. <laughs> Excellent. Got a lot of topical. A lot of things in there. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to that's a lot to deal with. Oh, wow, another one. Uh, Nate wishes the actor strike had gone on a little longer. Lassie's rates get so much lower when she's desperate. Yeah, at least it's a girl dog, Nate. Lassie, there's <laughs> trouble in my old pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, three in a row. Oh my goodness. Uh oh, this is this is just me talking, of course. This is how I speak. I can't wait for this podcast to be over so I could finally be alone and squeeze the midget. Joke's on you, motherfucker. I don't wait till it's over. I do that. <laughs> That's exactly what I sent him when he sent me that. <laughs> I said sometimes he doesn't even wait. It's true. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Uh also thanking Grace, Catherine. Colton. <laughs> oh, this is an exotic name. McCunt is itchy. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fine name. <laughs> I wish I could remember to change my name every month. The same way Nate remembers where all the cameras are. Is it in Petco? It's expanding. Where all the cameras are in Petco. Huh, I remember that. Nice. <laughs> uh, Zephod Beeblebrox, Joe P. Hayden, the Emotional Support Burrito, and CL. Thank you so much. <laughs> For all that you do. Thanks, most of you. So, you get the grandma story. And grandma was a, you know, a young woman in Dresden, which got you know melted. So, then she... Uh, Comes over with her, you know, you get more of her story throughout, and you figure it out really quickly that there's a mysterious renter at Grandma's house, and it's like, oh, who's that fucking weird guy? Oh, it's 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 Grandpa, the estranged Grandpa that is supposed to be dead or missing or something. He left but the he, family before his dad, before Oscar's dad was born, and so he never knew him. Also, he's mute or something. He doesn't have words. He can't use words anymore. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell if that was like a, a metaphor or it was an actual thing. I think he just went mute from the trauma of, you know, World War II or something like that. 
but he's like gradually loses words, so he he can only say some of them. So he can no longer say like turn left. He has to say make three rights or something like that, and he has to talk around them until it gets to the point where his only words left are like queef and <laughs> knuckle or something like that. And it makes communication very difficult. So he's doing, but the, he can still write them. Yeah, it's it was is odd odd thing, and he has yes and no tattooed on his hands, and he commu- he commutes like that. So we read Jonathan Safran Foer's other book. I don't know if he actually has more than two, but his, his he has first another book. recent book that I saw the li- I went to the library to find this because I remember this is a book that had like weird shit on the pages that I wanted to try to read a physical copy of, and I saw his new. They didn't have it, but I saw his newer book, and it was a massive. I was like, oh, fuck no. I don't want us to do that. So, as I was going to say, we read Jonathan Safran Foer's other book, where it was very much like there's one story, there are two stories in the book, one of which is very, like, sort of normal. It's a real, this, it takes place in the real world with regular people, and then the other one is, like, it's weird and magical. And this book kind of does that, too. Not quite, mm. But you get the story of Oscar and him just like trying to find, go, you know, going to visit all the people. And, you know, it's just kind of like it's a normal, it's a story based in reality. You know, you wouldn't say it's fantasy or science fiction. Whereas the other one is just like the man who's like, and I lost my words. First, I couldn't say this, and then I couldn't say that, and then I lost all of them. And then I got the things tattooed, yes and no tattooed on my hands, and just. And then meeting meeting the woman who would become his wife, first his sister, first to her sister, and then all the stuff. And it's like we, sort of weird and magical. And it was written in like that exact same way. And you get like every other chapter from their perspective. And then a bunch of chapters are his, Oscar's grandmother writing, like writing him a really long letter about what she experienced. But then it's also from his grandfather. And it's just strange. It's kind of hard to even understand what's going on for the first few of them, which is how the other one, other one was also. So you get the story about his uh, grandmother, uh, grandmother, grandfather. When she was a child, he actually essentially dated her older sister. But this is in Dresden in, you know, 1944 or 1943. So they were together, but then a whole bunch of people died in the bombing of Dresden. And there's just very short, there are like short little snippets of what that was like. And, you know, all of these people dying and everything on fire and, and stuff like that. But then it's interspersed with like, oh, and, and then years later, I saw him. And it's like, aren't you, aren't you Thomas? And then I, I can't even. I'm not even doing a good job explaining this. Like, aren't you Thomas? You're like, yes. Oh, ne- won't neither you? did. Uh, neither did he. Won't you? Yeah, no. <laughs> like, won't you marry me? And it's like immediate. But she's like, you know, carrying this on. Like she's speaking, and he's just writing on his little pad. Like, sorry, no. Uh, and so eventually, you find that they so that they get they get together, and then they. Um, and and he is like no children, no 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 children. But they have this weird thing about only like silent spaces or in the apartment. But yet that was also in no was that they, in Dresden? They, they have the places that are nowhere. Yeah, and yes, the places that are somewhere. It was like all right. And then the nowhere places are where you could like masturbate, and the somewhere places are where you jizzed. And really, and really, it was never clear to me. And then eventually, even though he didn't want children. Like, she gets pregnant, and then she tells him, and he leaves, and he never, and so he, and he leaves. He's like, nope, I can't, I can't stay, and he actually just leaves, and so, but yet he would write a letter to his son, you know, which he's essentially never going to meet, to his son, but he writes a letter every day, but it's blank, but yet, does that mean he just never mailed? No, he does mail it, but he mails only the envelope and not the letter. He carries them all with him. Because he, he arrives with, like, you know, suitcases full of paper. It's like, these are all the letters I sent to my son. Or I was going to send to my son. It's like, some weird shit. It's, honestly, it doesn't make much sense. Much like the last book, where there's the alternating chapters of the magic old uh, synagogue 
where you kind of struggle to find out what the fuck is even happening. It's like magical realism if you were just kind of rambling. There's also, did we, talk, wait, did we mention the grandma writing her memoir of just blank pages? No. Where she's using the yes. typewriter and she keeps going, my eyes are crummy. I don't know what I'm writing. He's like, it's great. And, and, then, typing, and then she hands the him bar. like a thousand page quote unquote manuscript. And then she, and then it's all blank. And then he goes, oh yeah, I took out the ribbon. Oops. <laughs> she thinks she wrote it all down somehow. She has to Even be crazy blind to not see there's nothing on the page. Yeah. Or maybe it's, it's magic. Yeah, that stuff was that stuff was interesting. So that's all. This is all cutting back and forth as he goes and meets eccentric people with the last name Black in New York City. I had this written. I I I had this book uh, in my head as curious incident of the dog in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, I had also written on the curious incident of the plane in the World Trade Center. Was my uh, other mm. title for this book? Okay, yeah, that's also also true. Because it did feel like oh, kooky, weird, autistic boy stuff. But let me just uh, wait a slightly decorous amount of time to put it about, make it about nine eleven. Yeah, let's get let's save that for the end so we can really shit on it when most people have stopped listening who are mad at us. Um, but he goes back; he's meeting all weird people, and uh, eventually he hooks up with the old man who lives in the apartment below them. I guess in who building, is yeah. like Abe Black or something like that. I forget his name now. But he's, he's the oldest man. Of, uh, he in doesn't the world. even visit him first. Yeah, even he doesn't he's even realize in it. the same apartment building, and he's like, you know, I've got this envelope that says black on it with a key in it. Why don't I ask the guy who lives one floor down if it's his? Nope, got to go to Queens first <laughs> and if knock on a door in Queens. Do you know anything about this? He spends like eight months. Visiting people, just going down the list. Well, he he he's supposed to be going to French classes on Saturday, but he tells the teacher, "Like, no, I don't need to know un petit any more French." I who, am who sends very... a nine-year-old solo to French class on the weekend for seven hours? <laughs> <laughs> the French don't work seven hours a week. Like, it turns out, like she knows that she knows what he's doing, as it's revealed at the end. Yeah. But it is still just like that was the original plan that we were supposed to be doing. Still a bad plan. Well, it's just it's kid logic. It makes no sense at all. I mean, it's a bad plan on the mom's part. Like send the kid to French tutor lessons by himself on the weekend, so I can. I mean, I'm sure it was only like 45 minutes, but the kid is like, yeah, I can walk to Queens and back, (laughs) and mom won't notice. (laughs) So he goes around meets meets some weird people, meets a lady. Who he should have just asked like three more questions of, and then the book would have been over. But he doesn't. It's the second lady. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and then everybody's, they clearly must realize like, oh, this kid is a little weird. And he's by himself. He's nine. This is odd. I'll, be, I'll humor him. He, it is a miracle that nobody raped and murdered this child. That was old um, New York. But he did also threaten them to play tambourine solos. Like, please, anything but that. <laughs> uh, so he eventually meets the old man below him. I forget what his name was, but it's also black. Who is a crazy old man. He is a fucking weird hermit guy. But and he something has a filing about, system of his own. It's amazing. Which is just drawers of things he deems important. Well, people... Yeah, he, people. Every, it's his biographical catalog system. <laughs> it's the Dewey douchebag system where he has a card for every person he has ever met and he gives them a one-word biography. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and then it's like, you know, Pablo Picasso, paint. I'm like, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> but then almost everybody is like, war. <laughs> it's like, Gandhi? <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi, war. Uh, okay. And, and there was a rationale that he gave. It was a that funny. It was a funny passage, I have to say. But it's one of those things reading this book again, where I was like, "Oh, I think this guy just has a lot of like funny, weird ideas," and he's like, "I'm gonna smush them together into a book sandwich." It's a bunch of elaborate character studies without any of the study. It's cramming for a character <laughs> study. <laughs> it's cramming. He's like, "Let's get them all in there. It's fine." <laughs> 
just spit on it. It'll slide in. So oh. he has, uh, they, they go around and the old man, you know, tell, it's just funny and helps the kid. And it's funny because the kid is narrating it, right? So you know these exchanges from the kid's perspective seem normal, but they're clearly not. Like one of the things the kid will always say to, to people, he must have read somewhere, compliment them and then they'll help you so he goes to like the morbidly obese woman at the store he's like you are extremely beautiful you should be a model <laughs> it's like he sounds like a fucking prick he also and keeps the old- asking the women if he can kiss them like grown ass people yeah the it's- kids got game <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, you know what <laughs> what if we kissed <laughs> it may work that's he never know they might be like yeah fuck it it's Why only got to work once that's right also another thing that has been because the book goes back and forth, all these things. He has the answering machine message from his house that had had four messages, was it? Five. Three or four messages that his dad left on 9-11 as he tried to call home as he gets increasingly desperate until, you know, he dies. And the kid has hidden this from the mom. And that's like another thing. And throughout the book, he'll, you'll get like the second message. Because the first one's like, oh, something weird happened. Or, you know, everything seems to be fine, though. And then later on, it's like clearly he's coughing and smoke is there and shit. That was pretty pretty harrowing stuff. So then I don't really know what happens next in what order. So he spends eight months going to visit all the all the people named Black. And he gets to, he does like, he sees a lot of them. But still, there are, I forget how many... Thousands. It's like 250 or something yeah like, that. like so of course he doesn't really get that far but eventually he so he goes over to grandma's apartment which is r- literally across the street and the doorman across the you know in the other apartment building lets him in and he goes there and he's and but grandma's not there but he's like what it, like i hear something there's there's someone else here and there's like the the renter, the, the he must still be here. So he knocks on the door and it says, "Are you there? Is there anyone there?" And eventually, the guy at first it's dark and he's like, "No, I heard something. I know you're there." So he comes out and it's a weird old man who has yes tattooed on one hand and no tattooed on the other and doesn't speak. And you're like, "Oh, that's who it was." And so you got these little hints earlier in the book, like Grandma has a. A renter. Uh, and so this is actually uh, to, uh, uh, Oscar's grandfather. But Oscar doesn't know. Does he, So the guy doesn't say, I'm your grandfather. He just says, oh, yes, I'm the renter. But yet he's doing, he's like writing out all the responses and, and stuff like that. And they talk about stuff. And he's his all his answers were like, always oh, so strange. It's like, what were you afraid of? Death? No. Life. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> say what you mean, old man. Yeah, and so eventually they like talk, but he doesn't say specifically, I'm your grandfather. Uh and then they make a plan or Oscar wants to go to his father's grave and dig it up. And so they're eventually they like do and the and the man is like, Okay. Now you find out later that Thomas, the grandfather, has promised grandma what what's her name? Grandma. Yeah, I don't yeah, grandma, like name at all. It's Crom's grandma. Do not tell Oscar who you are. Do not talk to him. You're never here. Do not do that. And he made she made him promise. So he promised, except now he's talking to him. And Oscar's like, I want to go dig up the grave. And the guy is like, Okay. And so they like work for like weeks or months to um like figure out a plan. But at the same time, he goes back to the answering machine. Yeah, he goes back to the answering machine. His not the not the answering machine that has his father's voice on it because he's like bought a second one and switched them out. But he like goes to the he switched it so his mom wouldn't hear the would no, and you find out why slightly later. But so he goes to the answering machine and he like listens to them, and he listens to one. And one is from the lady, meaning the lady with the last name Black, who was the second person he spoke to in the answering machine, is like, oh, hi, Oscar. And because, uh, uh, hi, Oscar, I just wanted to call you because I wasn't completely honest with you. I think I do know something about that envelope. And then it cuts off. And now this is like eight months later. And he's like, wait a minute. She called back like that day. 
uh, she knows something. So he goes back to her house. And instead of saying, like, what the fuck, bitch? (laughs) You were going to listen to so much fucking tambourine. (laughs) He said, no, Mr. Tambourine And and, and he cries. And she's like, yes, I know. I was trying to hurt someone. He's my husband. Well, now my ex-husband. And he's like, yes, sorry about that. And he's like, wait a minute. How, what, how is it like, and, and he realizes that the reason why the answering machine message like cut off mid word is because his mom picked up the phone and his mom clearly talked to this lady. And so his mom has like known for like almost this entire eight months. Oh, that's where he's going to. He's leaving and visiting all the people with that last name black. And instead of talking to him about it or saying, what the fuck are you doing? You (laughs) dumb kid. Uh, She's calling ahead to all the people and saying, hi, my son is going to come knock on your door. He doesn't know, you know, and so that's why everyone answers the door and it's like, okay, what do you want? So he says that his mom has like sort of orchestrated this whole thing and why she's not concerned when he's leaving for hours and hours at a time. Although the kid is like eight, like nine. That is way too young to just like be out Oh yeah, absolutely. Be out in this, and the mom is like, "I I trust you, like trust him." This kid doesn't. He like play, plays plays his tambourine everywhere. Like, oh my god, he's Yorick in the play. That was, that was nuts. Um, and so he realizes this has all been a sham. Everybody's known that I'm gonna be there because his mom is, you know, an adult and just calls them. That was kind of funny, and then. He goes out and with with Thomas, the grandfather, and they go out and they dig up the grave. They dig up the empty coffin, and and the grandfather puts in all the letters. They like they literally open the casket because which is like basically empty because there's no body in it. And they puts in all the letters, and then afterward, like uh, uh, Oscar gets home, and it's like four a.m. and he's like covered in dirt. And his mom is awake, just sitting on the couch waiting for him. And she's like, no, I trust you. Like, what? But then he <laughs> tells her. <laughs> but then Oscar tells his mom, yes, there's, there's an answering machine. Oh, no, wait. The other thing is, is he actually finds the, of the person whose key it was. So the lady who didn't tell him the truth the first time tells him, oh, yeah, that's my, it was from my ex-husband. That, that's where that envelope comes from. He and the, so he then the next scene is Oscar visiting this guy, and the guy is like, "Oh, who are you? What what are you here for?" And then tells him about, "Oh yeah, I know I didn't get along with my father." And he like sees the thing. Was this in the bottom of a vase? He's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's where I found it." And he goes on all this thing. Is like my grand my father was told, you know, you have cancer. You only have two months to live. And then he died two months later. And he wrote all everybody all these letters about all this amazing things. And then he wrote me a letter, but I couldn't read it. And I sold all his stuff. And then when I finally got around to reading his letter, he says, yeah, there's a key to a safe deposit box in the bottom of the blue vase. But I had already sold it and didn't know where it went. And I've been looking for this for months, like for, for you know, almost an entire year. No, more than a year, almost two years. But here it is. I've been looking for you. And then Oscar says, you know, who did you buy? Did you tell me about the man you bought it from? Because that's his father. And then Oscar says, yeah, no, he died in 9-11. That's why, you, you know, you could never find him. Oh, that's really sad. And yeah, that scene was really sad. And Oscar says, I'm going to tell you what I've never told anyone. Is like the final message for my father was, are you there? What, wait, what was it? The final message was, hey, if you're there, pick up or whatever. And Oscar was there, but he was too scared to pick up the phone. So he just listened to his dad asking to people people to pick up the phone. Yeah. And he'd like, uh, and he just, it was his father saying, you know, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, like over and over and over again. Are you there? Please pick up the phone. And Oscar didn't. He just, he just left it. Because Oscar had um, been dismissed because of the attacks, which as a New York City school student, absolutely did not happen. Nope. We had to get picked up that day. 
They like, kept everybody in school. You were not allowed to leave, but they sent all the elementary school kids, like, yeah, just walk home, kid. It'll be walk fine. Walk home, yeah. yeah. Without, like, they made us at our school, which was in fucking Queens. We were in high school, too. We were high school students in Queens, and they were like, where do you live? And they, I remember someone stopped me, and they were like, what, where, where do you live in Queens? And they were like, do you have, they like didn't believe me, because kids were trying to lie, because they were like, oh, I, I have to take the train, like, you have to wait here then, we can't let you go. Because the shit's not running. And so I said the remote Boone Hill fucking hillbilly part of Queens I lived in. And they were like, where is that? I think you're making that shit up. Pull me off the line. <laughs> and then someone was like, what the fuck is College Point? What the fuck is that shit? And someone was like, oh, that's that's real. That's, that's, that's oh, no, you don't want to get too close to him. And then they, <laughs> they let me go. I had to get taken home by a friend's mom because my parents were still at work. Yeah. There was that so, was the, no this way book is a lie. That's that's uh, what yeah, that's happened. that is just <laughs> one sprinkle on the shit the shit cupcake that is <laughs> this book. But yeah, so he gets a safe deposit box key and, and does he has him like, do you want to know what's in there? And the kid's like, no, I don't care. Peace. It's not like he's gonna get to have it. <laughs> it's a million in doubloons. No, it's probably just like birth certificates or a deed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's in it because the mystery was what was the key and what happened to my dad. Because he doesn't know how his dad... He knows he died in 9-11, but he doesn't know actually how he died. Like, did he jump? Did he burn? Did the building fall on him? And he spends a lot of his time wondering, however morosely, but understandably. And he keeps looking at the pictures of the people who jumped from the building. Trying to see if it's his dad, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those people were never... Identified, you know, there's a couple enhance of doesn't actually work in real life, it turns out. Enhance, yeah, <laughs> like, god damn you, you know, 9 11 photographers not taking higher res images. What's funny is now, thanks to AI, it actually would kind of work, but only really like around this year would that actually kind of work but it's still the computer inventing details it's mm. not like it just it knows more details it's guesstimating inventing it so yeah so the mystery is solved and then he has to what he has to still make amends with ron right he does no, make with, his with, mom. with his mom well yeah he said some fucked up shit to his mom throughout the book the, you know, the, the, the stereotypical i wish it was you he says that yeah and then the mom's reaction is like all right i'm just walking out of the room because you suck and yeah. he's like, I'm sorry, can we be friends again? I, you know, it's like, no, that was kind of a, that was kind of not cool, dude. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go wander around and talk to strangers then. Bye, Mom. Good luck. I'm not going to yeah. warn everyone this time. I hope someone kills you. <laughs> so, uh, and he, he makes up with Mama. But I don't remember how. What the fuck I was... Yeah, you know, she just, you know, she realizes he's a nine-year-old kid on the spectrum. Kids say stupid stuff. And... Because he listens in when she's in therapy, because they have the same therapist, and they just take turns. Oh, yeah. That was hysterical. He listens in, and he hears him talking about hospitalizing him. And he's like, I don't want to get hospitalized. She's like, I'm not going to do that. That's fucked up. And he's like, thanks. And in the end, does he learn that it's his grandfather? I think he does. I don't remember. Now that I think he it. has one line where he says, because this is kind of Oscar telling the story, he that later in li- maybe slightly later in life and telling the story says, I didn't quite know it was my grandfather. And then it's like, oh, well, he just said it's his grandfather. So he did kind of know, at least later. Yeah. There was a great, just with that therapy scene where the, the therapist is trying to do word association with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kids being a fucking absolute dick. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it was like. He's not actually being a dick. He's just. Fucking, it's like it doesn't work with neurodivergent people the same way, I suppose. Uh, but I did like it. He's like, well, all right, uh, here's a word, belly button. And he, after some hemming and hawing, he goes, uh, stomach anus. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I actually never thought of it that way. That's why I It's more of a crazy. stomach mouth, really. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's sealed. Well, that's because when, it, when you're a baby, you eat through it. Well, yes, I guess. So it's your stomach mouth. All right. That makes luckily, sense. All, luckily, all the teeth fall out before you're born. That's true. That's That'd really awful when they're preemies and they can still bite with their belly buttons. <laughs> <laughs> at 
Look out, it's hungry. It needs to feed to grow. (laughs) (laughs) Quick, get a cocktail weenie. Put it in there. (laughs) You know what? That'd be so much easier than actually feeding a baby because they're just so hell-bent on destroying themselves. They just refuse. So, um, yeah, he wakes up with mom. And then he finds out that Ron, the guy who might be banging his mom. Who's definitely banging his mom. Yeah, well, grief is a strong aphrodisiac. And they, he lost his family on September 18th, 1998. No, he's, <laughs> his family, his wife and daughter died in a car accident and they met at a grief counseling support group or something like that. And um, Yeah, and, and Oscar asks, why weren't you in the car? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. But yeah, so then he kind of is like, all right, I guess I won't be a total scumbag to Ron now. Even though he's like yelling at the mom, the book, you sound like you're having fun. You can't have fun. Um, and I'll never call him dad. So that's basically it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. fine. And then, oh, that, oh, no, but it ends with the fucking flip book. That's the thing I forgot about. It ends with a flip book. That's one of the, one of the physical copy things that kind of mattered. Oh, like it's an actual flip book in the book? It's like a bunch of pages, and it just shows the, you know, that, that iconic image of the dude falling down a fucking, you know, jumping from the building. Yeah. But he's going up. And, and it's like, oh, okay. That's an interesting way to look at it, I guess. Yeah. So what would you guys think? Well, first, this was the book that you chose uh, because this, oh, yeah, book, this month's theme was books that we had read, each of us had read before and wanted to read here. And we've done this before, and Mike also won that time and was also, I'm guessing, similarly disappointed in how his previous self rated this book. <laughs> what was the one we did the other time? Uh, the fucking, oh, ironically, the one about the plane crash, uh, the Chuck... Palinuk book. Oh, okay, yeah. I was oh. a stupid young man. Uh, so, I mean, I really like this book. I read it right around the time it came out, I guess. I read it in like 2006, so it was only mm. a few months old. And I was not a very mature reader, and it gave me the feels. And there are some really emotional passages There's in the book. There's some good feels, certainly. And I think that that just... And the book was... It seemed very creative and seemed very unique so I think that that was I was waylaid by those things and my naivete. <laughs> uh, rereading it, I felt different, differently about it. It felt now that nine eleven is funny. You know, man, it has always been funny, <laughs> but uh, it just depends on how brave you are. Yeah, <laughs> but it just—I uh, mean, actually, nine eleven makes me like I'm like now that I have more empathy as an adult than I did as a high school student. Nine yeah. eleven is like, way more traumatizing to me. Than it was when I was a kid. It's way more mm. upsetting now. But the book here, I realized this is a fucking gimmicky book. It is really gimmicky and is maudlin is the word that came to mind a lot. I've heard this word and I don't know what it means. I'm realizing right now. It's Harold's like wife. Harold violin? and maudlin. <laughs> uh, maudlin is like overly, overly sentimental and is like saccharine. I, that's how I interpret it. Um, Saccharin's like that's what, overly that's how I've sweet. Saccharin is sweet and like artificially so. Maudlin is tearfully or weakly emotionally emotional, foolishly sentimental. So saccharin and maudlin are how you would describe every lifetime movie and every Nicholas Sparks book. For sure. Okay. Yeah. This just felt like he was like leaning and like hammering. Every angle to be like, isn't 9-11 sad? Look how bad it was. Like, yeah, fucking everyone knows that, dude. Um, And then every other... There's also another random passage for no reason at all. For no reason at all. There's a passage about Hiroshima. <laughs> and a mm, mother yeah. talking about This was her just like Hiroshima. Dying. It's like, uh, Yeah, just like Hiroshima. Like, those are different things. And Dresden, also a different thing. Yeah. Not, they're not the same. Except America did the other two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was different. <laughs> and I will, I will say there were, there were some significant differences between those. And I think also just the horror of 9-11 of using people as the fucking missile yeah. in the plane was a, stri- a you know, stroke of barbarism that no one had conceived of. Whereas... 
people dying as collateral damage and war from fire stuff is horrible, but less shocking. Um, less unusual. Yeah, it's just like, well, that's what happened. What do you think is going to happen? They dropped bombs. Bombs made your house explode. You exploded too. Supposed to. You went on a plane to go fly to Texas or wherever it was, and instead they used your plane to destroy a building and kill thousands of people. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But I don't need to get bogged down in that. I just thought that this was overly emotional. And then, like, the, the weird, magical, realist, fable kind of part was just bizarre. The characters do weird things that don't make sense. And it's like he just thought of every weird character he could find, and that was the book. And I was glad to see... I, I Also, the book was like... A lot of people seemed to like the book when it came out. I was glad to see, actually, a lot of people really didn't like the book. <laughs> and it was not just me. Yeah. They hated the movie. I'm sure the, I'm sure the movie was terrible. Yeah. I've not seen it. I, I haven't seen it. It had Tom Hanks in it. It did, yeah. He probably wished that he just landed on an island when the plane crashed instead and talked to a volleyball for the he rest of the really week. stopped getting on planes. It's very <laughs> dangerous. He, I thought he just felt like running. So what did you guys think? I, I mean, it was okay. I didn't love it, but it was, it was okay. It was, it's a weird thing how, because we read the other book by Jonathan Safran Foer, and it really is, it felt to me like the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had read this one first and the other one second, I would say the exact same thing about the other one, you know. So we've had this experience multiple times where it's like we read two things by the same author. And the first one is like, oh, that's unique and different. And then we read the second one and it's like, oh, that's exactly like the first one. It's got a stick. And it's less special now. And so this that happened again. For the record, my entry would have been better than this. Mine too. That's what but I'm going to say. Zero people voted for mine, so whatever. Well, mine almost won. <laughs> I mean, this one won, but uh, mine got close. But zero people voted I for am, Jimmy's, though. I, of all the ones, I would have rather read Jimmy's. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I am the kingmaker. I could pick. I When I pick them. You pick ones we, that you find out aren't that good after you read them a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> well, you know what? It's an educational podcast. That's... <laughs> I am Education. doing the work. We're we're teaching people that this book is you know I I originally I originally gave it four stars, but I was like a strict like this is three and a half. I did four, four but then I bumped it down to three because I realized it's like it's fine. It is there are funny parts and interesting parts and interesting characters, and I like the creativity of certain parts, like when his dad tells him the story of like the sixth burrow that kept moving away. Like, that's creative, like a, like a fairy tale kind of thing. But same problem I had with Everything's Illuminated is, you know, there's the main story, which I didn't kind of enjoy, however weird it might be, and then like the B story, which is like magic stuff that sometimes feels like he mistakes being weird and cryptic with being interesting, which is a fine line to walk. Um, and it was like, yeah, you know, I could have done without that half. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, he again crams in a lot of stuff. And I guess my my question I have for you both is, did this book have to be about nine eleven at all? Could it have worked essentially exactly the same if the kid's dad had died in some other way? It would have lacked the gravity that nine eleven gave it. You know, like nine eleven made it. You know, that's such a, it was such a big thing obviously and this book was so soon after it that i think if not this book someone else is going to write a book oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure a bunch of them book. it would have lacked the ability to make a tom hanks movie out of out of yeah. it but i don't I, I feel like it could have been essentially unchanged but perhaps not have the you know awards bait aspect to it of a sad book about 9-11 like the the dad would have died. Let's say the dad died in a some other, even some other like big event where a bunch of people died, mauled by ferrets, mauled by ferrets <laughs> at a pet at a pet store in a mall, and like you know, like this is like a bunch of people died, and the dad was calling, yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm hiding from the ferrets. They can't, you know, <laughs> the story would have been exactly Are the you same. There? <laughs> yeah, and now the kid doesn't want to take subways because of the ferrets. I mean, I see what you're saying. It feels like like he's kind of fisting in 9-11 unnecessarily. 
in New York City, there are many opportunities for a writer to have a character die suddenly in, yeah. in a terrible tragedy. <laughs> Just an open manhole cover. <laughs> Just a fucking a mugging, a car accident, a train accident. He fell on the tracks. And it, but I think having the I think I think that story I think I think you did need nine eleven for the story. Wow, so you say we needed 9-11. Bold, bold. We needed it. Let me see you defend that. (laughs) We we needed it. We asked for it, actually. We deserved it. That's what I'm saying. You saw what New York was wearing. We were looking for it by supporting Israel. (laughs) Or whatever whatever Al-Qaeda was mad at. Um, That was part of it. It was part of it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to... I wasn't going to blame them directly. (laughs) No, but I, I do think that this book, the way it's written, if it wasn't 9-11, I don't think it would have worked the same way. I don't. Because the whole plot with, like, the message and the kids, you know, hidden kind of guilt about that and how hard that was for the family to process and how everyone else has to kind of react differently to them because of this. Mm. I don't know. I think it, I think it had to be 9-11. Nate, what are you? What are you? It was... <laughs> the big thing and in 2004 or more like 2003 when he's writing the book or 2002 2003 everyone is still like obsessed with 9-11 and the war on terror it was i mean obviously if you live through it you know how like crazy the country was because of it the ground ground zero was still on fire in 2002 like it was still smoking in parts it makes sense i guess as a product of its time but now 20 years later I don't know. It comes across, maybe because the book's not great. Maybe if it was like better, it would make more sense to me. But it, it, it seems like it, not fetishizing, but maybe not exploiting either, but almost. I think uh, so. Uh, while I was reading it, I did have the thought like, a hundred years from now, this is one of the books people are going to read to think like, what did people believe about nine eleven? Like oh, this is this is gonna be one of the one of those. This is gonna be a primary source about nine eleven, or at least how people thought about nine eleven. And I was like, is this really how it's remembered? Because I mean, like, I guess. I mean, but a thing like nine eleven, there's so many different ways people thought about it and remember it. I I mean, it does it does feel a little a little cheap, but maybe that's like how grief people porn. Thought. It does feel like it's definitely, definitely grief porn. When you make a, a grief porn sandwich of nine eleven, the firebombing of Dresden, and you sprinkle a little Hiroshima mustard on it, that is, you know, you're really looking for it. It feels cheap, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me personally. I don't know if I would ever find any nine eleven novel to not feel exploitative. You know, maybe somebody who was not alive then, or somebody who was a different. Would have would react differently. Maybe that's how people feel like I don't know. In like the nineteen sixties, if you wrote a World War Two novel, that'd be like, or if you yeah. made a movie about Titanic, yeah, <laughs> like no, oh, that was a really bad, terrible thing. And but I will say, person who really hated the book had you have you guys read, um, what the fuck is this guy's name? Harry Siegel. He's a writes for the Daily Beast. He wrote an a review of this book that is beyond scathing. Like at the time? Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes they do like retrospectives or some shit. Um, I'm not sure when it came out, but it's, it's from several years ago. I think it's a review for this book. I think it came out like when this book came out. Hmm. No, I didn't read it. It's amazing. It's called Extremely Cloying and Incredibly False. <laughs> the article. <laughs> Uh, There's a couple of choice nuggets from it, which are amazing. I mean, this author is also clearly a pretentious dude who wrote this. Well, he also took his time off from writing to stalk Natalie Portman. So, Who did Jonathan Safran for? Oh, yeah. You guys didn't know about that shit? <laughs> no. I mean, he, he hasn't written much, though. He was like this, you know, wunderkind. He Everybody believed he was in a relationship with her. And she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's years. incredible. Yeah. He's a, so he got extremely wrong. close. Uh, extremely close and incredibly un- uncomfortable. Wow. He doesn't... You know, it's funny. That is that is uh, missing from his Wikipedia page. <laughs> and that's all I need to know. Uh, <laughs> well, let me read you some of the, the great, great lines. 
Four is four or whatever isn't just a bad author. He is a vile author, vile one. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Much has been made of the flip book with which Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close ends, a series of pictures of a silhouette falling from the towers, rearranged so that as one turns or flips the pages, the figure ascends instead of falling. Some advice to our young author. Don't walk the streets naked and complain that no one takes you seriously. And don't, and certainly don't write a book culminating with a flip book and then complain that your words aren't taken seriously. That was pretty, pretty brutal. And then a little bit later on, he talks about how a whole bunch of the different parts of it uh, were just copied from another book. I'm just trying to find it. In an interview, uh, he for explained that Jay Z samples from Annie, one of the least likely combinations imaginable, and it changes music. What if novelists were willing as willing to borrow? Yes, Jigaman and Hard Knock Life are surely what the novel needs. <laughs> Four is indeed a sampler. Throwing in Seabald, the illustrations in Dresden. Uh, Borges, the grandparents divide their apartment into something and nothing. Calvino, a tale about the sixth borough that was floated off, ripped off wholesale from Cosmic Comics. Ouster, in the whole city of symbol shtick. Knight of the Hunter, the grandfather has yes and no tattooed on his hands. And damn near every other author, technique, Reference and symbol he could lay his hands on, as though referencing were the same as meaning. And with the same easy spirit in which he pillages other authors' techniques, stripping them of their context and using them merely for show, he snatches 9-11 to invest his conceit with gravitas, thus crossing the line that separates the risable from the villainous. Pretty, uh, pretty ruthless review. I don't think he liked it very much. I know, he was not a fan. He also didn't like everything as illuminated, though. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't get any of those references. Um, my Borges is a little, a little rusty. Also, I haven't read it. Uh, I know those names. I, I, I know the names some of those. Of those names. I don't even know all those names. Yeah. But, it, yeah, but I, I'm not surprised that the shit that was in this book that was just like that's weird is a reference to something else that no one knows about. Because, but I'm also not surprised that an author who yeah. went to Princeton and took creative writing with Joyce Carol Oates. Is going to be the kind who reads the famous hard authors Hmm. and then is like, I want to write like that. So I will write exactly that. (laughs) That's what what this guy's saying. I don't know. I can't prove it or not. But I thought that was like, ooh, them's fighting words. (laughs) But I did feel it, did feel like a book where he has, and much like the book that I recommended last time that I felt stupid afterwards for uh, Survivor by Chuck Palahniuk is that when you're not a great reader or you don't have a better sense of like what makes a good book or your own really fully formed opinion of what makes a really good book, you could be dazzled by gimmicky writing. You could be distracted by it and feel like, ooh, that was really cool because it was different because it had so much stuff. And there's some really great passages in this, but passages in this, but there's also just a lot of schlock and gimmick that now that I've read more. I think we could easily do a series on books we read when we were younger that we thought were good and then we realized now are not very good. It's probably almost every book I read when I was younger, I realize. Like, Curious George holds up. <laughs> well, because he was an LGBTQ ally. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Way ahead of his time. Um, Man in the Yellow Hat was a guy with a pee fetish. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. He's into wet work, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Why did they call him that? He was wearing all yellow. Cause, cause I guess the yellow George man would be bad. pissed on him all the time, yeah. Imagine that's like the earlier versions of it. It's the yellow man, <laughs> an Asian man, his monkey. It's like the original draft. And like, oh, listen, oh, we got to no. tone that down yeah. a little. <laughs> Just a little. It is 1950. <laughs> Who knows? One day we might, we, we might start letting them in the country one day. <laughs> Figure that shit out. Um, so, who should read this book now that 9 11 is no longer cool? Oh, Al Qaeda. We should torture them with it. <laughs> That's the people in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> this is the punishment. I think the people still in Guantanamo Bay weren't involved in 9-11 anymore. 
Well, we should. I, 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 I don't think anyone should read it. I don't. Yeah, I think it was a. It was a product of its time, and that time is not this time. <laughs> it was of the moment, and maybe you know that's why uh, I've referenced this book several times over the the years. Of the podcast, how to talk about books you haven't read, and the author says at one point, like you can never even talk about a book you have read because your experiences when you read that book then are different than your perspective now. So you're always yeah. talking, you're talking about your memory of the book, not the book. You know what I mean? So you're not going to be, it's not going to be accurate. And that's the kind of true for this. You know, it's uh, reading it in 2006. And I was like, man, 9-11, holy shit. I'm just starting to like finally understand that. <laughs> This felt, and I'm not a very good reader, this felt legit. And now it feels dumb and schlocky. But maybe in 2006, if I were an older person who had a better reader, then I would have felt it was shitty then too. Or felt it was great because at that moment, people were looking for something like this. Can't really know. All right. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkeyesbookclub at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at drunkeyesbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. And uh, support the podcast over at uh, patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club. Or just leave us a review. Or just go spread the word. Tell someone to listen to it before they catch that. Enter. No, I'm not going to say anything else. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.